Hebrews 12, 4 to 28. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate. That you are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit ourselves even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in his way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to perceive, receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards. When he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness and gloom and a whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No. You've come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. 
careful. You do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only the unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Nearly every Christmas for my entire life, save maybe two, I've spent five days with my dad's side of the family on a mountain in West Virginia in a cabin. Um, my grandmother, uh, my, my dad grew up in what you here would call council housing. Uh, five, five people in a family, two bedroom, uh, less than a thousand square feet apartment. There's nowhere to put us. Um, so my grandmother, she lived there her whole life until she passed on. Um, decided when the little ones came along, us grandkids, that uh, she'd pool money and she saved all year long and she'd rent a cabin at the state park two hours away up the mountain. And we started to come every year. We'd drive, no matter where we were, we'd come and we'd go up the mountain. We'd get by the fire and we'd, my grandmother would tell us stories and, and we'd, we'd see our cousins, some of my best friends now, thanks to this, but every year. And then more grandkids came along and then those grandkids started getting older. They found folks, and they started having grand, great-grandkids. Now there's about 30 of us, and we have six cabins. Um, <laughs> we still come back every year. One year, a while ago, my brother and I were riding together to the mountain. But an ice storm was coming, too. And we were winding our way up into West Virginia, and uh, the weather got worse and worse. And if you've been in an ice storm, you know that uh, it's worse than a blizzard because the blizzard knows what it's about. It, it just snows. An ice storm can't make up its mind. The rain was coming down really hard, but the higher you go, obviously the colder it gets, and the ice is dangerous. And we got closer and closer, and the closer we got to Pipestem State Park, the more it got slick. And my brother and I had peered out, tried to find where the end of my headlights were, and just tried to find the road and looked for black ice basically when will it freeze that's the danger zone we got to the base of the mountain into the park but it's still five miles up the hill once we're in the park we started to go and it got so slick i'd never seen anything like it we actually i was driving so slow i mean crawling but think about it man we're it's the end of the day we're two guys college students i know at the top of the hill there's a fire waiting for me with homemade cookies literally hot coffee, you know, my family's there waiting on me, and it's going to be warm and nice. It's, it's my, my highlight of my year. We're not stopping on the mountain. The bad news is it got so slick that I actually um, stalled out the car. We're going so slow. And no lie, um, the car started to slide off the road. Not move. We wasn't moving. The whole road was ice. And we went off to the side of the shoulder. We had a problem. There's coffee and a fire waiting on me. 
I don't like my brother that much. We weren't going to stay in the car the whole night. So we talked about it, and me being the firstborn, uh, and me, you know, it being my car, we came up with a crazy plan. I came up with a plan my brother still isn't happy about. Uh, we decided to put one half of the car into the, the berm on the side of the road where the gravel was. Ice doesn't like the gravel quite so much. There was a little bit of traction. And then the other side of the tires would be up on the ice. And then I thought, well, we still got to get more, more friction, more purchase. So my poor brother, <laughs> I sat him on the, uh, the hood, on the bonnet, right over the wheel well of the right side to give it that little extra weight and had him look out. <laughs> and we put the windows down and we crawled up the mountain. That's a true story. Sometimes there's only one way up the mountain. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling his audience in this scripture. They weren't looking for a cabin with a fire and cookies and southern women who have hospitality to offer. My aunts who would just squeeze me and then feed me and squeeze me again and feed me again. Their goal was, uh, was something equivalent, though, um, th- their version, I guess, and that is Mount Zion. That sounds a little crazy, but I'll, we'll get around to why that's the case. A heavenly city where God is in charge and all has been put right. My cabin, and I'll be there on the 25th, that by 11 p.m. I'll be sitting by that same fire. Man, it doesn't change. My cabin is just a foretaste of the satisfaction of Zion. So there's only one way up the mountain. What is it? This is an incredibly dense chapter. There are metaphors piled on metaphors. Uh, The author of Hebrews is tying together all these strains that he's woven. Each of these strains, I think, would have been fairly uh, powerful and meaningful to the people. Um, Imagine being in a family reunion and uh, and the stories that get told. Um, If you're an outsider, let's say you're the the in-law that doesn't know everybody. You miss most of the stuff, don't you? These people are part of the family. They, they're being told a story they understood. We're looking from 2,000 years out. So I don't hope to untangle the wet spaghetti that is this uh, scripture. Um, but I do think we can recover a sense of, of, of what he's talking about and get to the, 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 the real movement, the force, the thrust of this passage. And that is that there's only way, one way up the mountain. I'm excited, by the way, about what this has to offer. I think... Uh, um, I think, honestly, we could walk away right now, and I think this scripture preaches itself. Um, sometimes you get lucky. They say even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Um, <laughs> and, and I think this is going to be, this is, there's just some really, really great stuff here. Um, so, one way up the mountain. It involves two things. The first is you go as sons. I want to make one preliminary comment about, um, about gender language. Um, I don't want anyone to feel left out when we use the word sons. Um, The reason I will and the reason I'm for this kind of a a translation that would say sons is this. There's certain meaning that's inherent and intrinsic to the way that first century um, uh, Palestinians and and Jews talked about uh, life. This issue of sonship is a a gender-specific thing. That said, Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. In this age of the Spirit... Anything offered a son is inheritable by the daughter. 
That said, if we eliminate the son language, you daughters will miss out on a lot too. So I think the feminist interpretation here is to talk about sons so that you daughters get the full inheritance that you've been promised. That's my interlude, so keep that in mind. You go up the mountain as sons. Verse 4 he defines the struggle, the thing that, that, that's causing this, this mountain, this, 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 this sense of suffering and, and, and wandering that these people are feeling. He defines it, the, the author. We don't know who he is, but he was someone. Verse 4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of blood. I think the text has a lot to say to us. What we've gathered from previous chapters, Phil kind of touched on and and other preachers have um, in this series, is that the people are discouraged and tempted to fall away. They're tired of holding the line. They're discouraged. The writer says they are struggling. The word there in the original language I have on the board because it's hard to read, antagonize, oh my, to struggle against. The important thing and the reason why uh, I'm bringing that word up is I want you to see the root of that is agon. The word there is, is, is contest. That's the same word used for um, uh, the games, the Olympic games, um, for um, a, a contest where there's boxing, there's, there's javelin throwing, there's races. Um, the writer is continuing the metaphor that, that started last week about running a race. Um, and this is important. This isn't, this isn't us throwing Greek on the board for the sake of throwing Greek on the board. Other people can do that if they want. But it's important because it sets the tone for what we're trying to get at. And it, it really will click, I promise you. So he suggests a contest. They're they're bruised and battered from a contest. They have resisted, in the second word. The word here is anti-kathistimi, and it means to stand against. And and it's an image from from battles where um, one side of soldiers would be over here and another side would be a general would place another over here. The image that you need to think in mind is these, these readers, this audience, is standing against. They're in a defensive position over and against this sin, this struggle. And it's been coming at them. And they're worn down, tired. They're not even moving, man. All they got to do is hold the line. And they are tired. They've been standing against in this struggle. Like a boxer. Like Muhammad Ali, rope-a-doping. Holding out. So the question, I guess, is what are they holding out against? And why are they there? experiencing this hardship what's going on what's what's the imagery Um, verses 5 to 17 the whole passage really sets that up i want to get into that for a second it's basically sin but we think of sin generally in our terms as as one thing and that's things we commit things we do wrong right but not to delve in too much but sin's so much more than that there's sins of commission sins of omission when did we fail to do what we should have done um michael jordan once said you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take if sin is missing the mark, we need to really think about sin as more than just doing the wrong thing, but failing to do the right one also results in a missed shot. There are also, though, the sinfulness of others. Earlier in the chapter, we hear about Jesus who's holding on um, and, and persevering based on the sinfulness of others coming at them. We've got sin just piled up around us, you know. The wind comes, it stirs it up, and you get mud on you. Um, it's all outside. You know it. It's, it's there, regardless of what you do. So, but this sin that they're struggling against, why are they? What's the hardship? Verse 5, this is a, a quote from Proverbs. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. 
This is a pretty famous passage from Proverbs, but what's going on here, I think, is, is pretty radical. The writer of Hebrews is taking something they know that talks about what fathers do to their children in terms of, of, of discipline, and he's turning it on his head, and I think what we have to do, and I think most translations kind of miss this, and this isn't something I've come up with. I've just been reading as much as I can, and I, th- I really think this is what's going on. We need to think about the word discipline differently. The word is padia. Again, I hate to be... We're going so textual, but this will unlock it, I think. It can mean discipline. It can mean education. It can mean culture. It can mean training. Most translations say discipline, but I think that misses the point. The writer here is reinterpreting a famous proverb and helping his people understand a new meaning. Keep in mind the athletic imagery from the contest, the Aegon we talked about from Phil's talk last week from earlier. And keep in mind verse 4, the Aegon that we just talked about. And let's skip to 11. I think it'll unlock it. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Trained. One last word. We'll leave it be. Gegemnazeminos. Look close at the middle of that word. Gymnasium. Those who are being trained. Now, a gymnasium was a place of, of torment for many of you, I'm sure, growing up. Um, and some of you probably, it was your favorite course in school, wasn't it? Um, mine, I think, is a little one. But uh, the fact is, a gymnasium in this context um, talks about a training that's different than what you've thought. There's not just dodgeball or, uh, or netball or whatever it is you play in a gym. This offers us a clue. In a gymnasium in this time, to be trained, it's a place where heirs, the firstborn, were sent to be trained for their education. It's not just physical. It also involves the mind and the character, the will. It's preparation for full participantship. Participate. I'm going to start over. It's training for full participation as citizens in the life of the culture. That's what happens in a gymnasium. When you're the firstborn son... All the money will be invested in you being trained in the best way possible, sent to a gymnasium so that you can represent your family as the heir. When it's time to take your father's place, you will be, in a very Godfatherian sense, the head of the household. And the hopes of your brothers, your sisters, the kids to come really rest on you becoming the kind of person that can operate fully within culture and take advantage of the situation for your family. It all hinges on the firstborn stepping into the gap. So the writer is telling his people, in essence, that they have been selected for that training. They are going to be the heirs, the firstborn. So this isn't discipline in the sense of, of, you know, the stuff we do to make kids learn better or to, to have them behave. This is something bigger. This is a big deal. This is about... An inheritance. And that's why Esau comes in. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I've, I've puzzled on that forever. Picture, this is really cool. This is where it clicks. Without the training that we've just done, without the words that we just looked at, in the sense that this is part of a training and part of a, uh, this gymnasium, and, and it's a, a contest of athletic where you're, where you're in kind of grinding away to, to get better and stronger. Esau doesn't make sense. Esau was a firstborn. For those of you who don't know the story, he should have been the one to represent his family as an heir. And had he been a faithful kid, we'll stretch the metaphor a bit, 
he would have shown up to gym class and learned to be smart here, smart here, and he would have been physically gifted. But what we know about Esau is he spent all his time outdoors running around chasing animals. He didn't really want to be trained, did he? He was a wild man, the opposite of what a man who goes through the gymnasium becomes. When confronted by a struggle as petty as hunger, he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. The writer is saying, don't be an Esau, a chosen, entitled heir who is controlled only by his urges. He was stupid. That's culturally shameful because he made a terrible trade. That's also just plain dumb from the standpoint of having it all. He had the chance to be the godfather. And he settled for a bowl of soup. What are you going to do, Hebrews? Leave that there for a moment. We'll come back to the role of sonship, but for now I want to move to the second part of getting up the mountain. There's only one way up the mountain. You come as a son, and you come together. Verse 12, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Let's get moving. You're in the gymnasium and you are worn down, but there's a purpose in mind. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Let's go, but let's go. Jesus won the race, by the way. It's over, man. We're at the back of the marathon just trying to get through. No, there's no more medals to give out in case you're wondering. Two things. First, pick straight paths. The writer says, mark out a straight path. But here's why. This is you. There are path finders in here. They call them pioneers. Uh, Jesse's used that language before. Um, there are path finders in here, and your job is to find paths that aren't just good for you, but are good for the folk behind you. Those who are weak and lame is what our scripture says. The Greek there talks about the weak and lame as those who are limping. A lot of you folks are limping. I am, to be honest with you. It's been a not, not the best year. Those who are limping, you, pathfinders, better find a path that accommodates the ones who are limping. The text up here says, will not fall. The Greek word there is ektrape. The cool part is, it's not just fall. It's to, literally, it's a medical word for dislocation. If you're limping, you're still moving. But Lord, if you pick the wrong path, you leaders, the folks that are limping are going to dislocate. And then they're done. Done. Our job is to pick straight paths, not for me or for you, but for the ones that are limping. And, and by the way, if you're not limping now, you will be soon. <laughs> the good news is you don't stay in a perpetual state of limping. The writer here talks about becoming strong is our translation. But the, the word there talks, it just says literally be healed. If we choose straight paths, you leaders, those who are limping will not dislocate themselves, but actually, as they keep walking, it'll get better. And we keep moving up the mountain. You go together. So strengthen your drooping hands and wobbly knees and make straight paths for your feet so those who are already limping may not become more injured, but rather, in the course of journeying, be healed. Each of us needs to do everything we can to factor in the community 
when choosing paths. That's not what I want to hear today. Someone's going to have to call me on that later. Second thing about this, verse 15, take good care that no one falls away from the grace of God. This is, this is the coolest thing I've seen in this text. Um, it, it jumped out and hit me. Um, take good care that the word that, that, that the writer uses is episcopontes. It means look out for, but those of you that study Greek at all know that that comes from the word episkopos. Episcopus is a bishop. Literally, bishop one another. Shio, you are Sam's bishop. Tom, you're Ian's bishop. Bishop one another. We go together. There's only one way up the mountain, and it won't be easy. The writer is clearly telling the audience that only sons make it, and they only make it together. What's up there? What's at the top of the mountain? It's not a cabin, I said. What is it? Well, it's not like what it was in Exodus, where proximity to God was unbearable, where only Moses was allowed to go. Only one person could go then. And back then, it wasn't a party. At Sinai, it wasn't a party. It was a storm. They, they wanted to run away. They couldn't bear it. But you have come to Mount Zion. I'll, I won't read that because Ebby already has. But understanding the goal of where you're going makes sense of the process. And what we find when we get up there isn't a cabin and it's not a kingdom in the literal sense of the word. It's a kingdom, an unshakable one, once it's shaken up, that happens to be a city. That's important based on what we've already talked about. Who lives in cities? Well, citizens do. Now you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You are heirs who have been put in the gymnasium to become citizens who fully participate. When a Roman dad had a Roman baby, he had 30 days to go register that son in a book. This is my heir. Don't miss this. Your names have been put in the book of registry. It's all there for you. You're a firstborn. It's again, it's another clue jumping out. Boom. You go as sons. Now, what do citizens do? They assemble. You've come to the city. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. Remember that the heir was sent to a gymnasium to learn how to represent the family, to learn how to participate fully in culture, to get into the flow of what's happening. The word that's used there is assembly. There's an assembly in heaven. Who knows why, but everybody gets to play. Listen, a lot of people don't much care for heaven because you think you're just going to go out there and sing songs you don't like, or it'll be boring, right? It's like church forever. Um, Tell your friends that, see how that goes. It's not that at all. This is an active assembly whereby the training that you've put in counts for something. You get to be the best you. God's invested in that. Not just for anybody, man. This is about people who have worked hard and trained to live in to this party. The Bible says it's a festival. But you got to know how to act when you get there. 
And that's what all the suffering's for. That's what the training's about. You are being prepared for a new way to live. The writer of Hebrews has a clear agenda on his mind in chapter 12. He knows that people feel weary, beaten up, inadequate. And they're wondering if following this Jesus character is really worth it. It is. They might feel disowned, disenfranchised, alone, illegitimate. But in reality, they are in training to take over the family. They are being groomed to participate fully in real life. And by the way, man, real life's a party. Back to the story. That icy winter's night as I drove home from the little town I'd come from, I got to the bottom of the hill and I saw the sign, thankfully, that said Pipestem State Park. And I had arrived, sort of. You have come to Mount Zion, but you're not there yet. There's a sense that we have in the vineyard that you're already, the kingdom's already here and it's not yet. It's the same with that mountain I went to. When you're in the park, you're there. If I'd have run off the road to hit a tree and it had been over, they'd have said I died at Pipestem State Park. But I wasn't at the cabin. There's a big difference. You have come, but you got to keep going. There's only one way up the mountain. You go as a son, you go together. That's fine, man. That's academic, isn't it? But how do we do that? This is simple, I think, and that's you got to keep moving. If you don't hear me say anything else today, hear me say this. Hebrews is amazing for a lot of reasons, but I think the biggest is this. It gives us an alternative way to look at faith. Paul elsewhere talks about faith as belief or trust in something, pistos, leaning forward with, with your mind and your heart, but, but it's believing in God. Hebrews says that's probably true, but it, it takes the angle that faith is endurance. It's showing up and moving. Now listen, there are days I wake up and I don't believe in God. I just don't. I don't have it, man. I, I don't. It's, there's too much going on, and there's too many other things clouding me up, and, and it's depressing. It is. That's the truth. If faith were belief, I'd be done. Thank God that there's two ways of that. When your faith is gone, in terms of belief, you prove your faith by enduring and making your brother sit on a tire and going up the mountain. For some of you, I think that's where you are. I'd like to ask you to stand as we close. I've thrown a lot at you. A lot. I know that. We're not quite done. What we want to do now is uh, we have ministry time up front where we do prayer. Um, There's a lot of crumbs out there for anyone who's hungry. I'm going to start with the pathfinders. Those of you that feel like you're meant to be looking for a path for other folks to kind of come. And and it might just be a role for a season. You might be in a place of strength right now. Um, I I want to ask you, if that spoke to you at all, come forward and and have prayer just for discernment and and, uh, a sense of of learning how to shepherd with a humble heart. Um, The second group of people I want to uh, talk to, I guess, are those of you that are limping. I want you to come forward. Um, fact is, we need other people to pray with you. We, we want you to be healed and not dislocated. We don't want it to get worse. Let's go. We go together. 
There are those of you that don't believe any of what I said. I don't care. Fact is, you just got to move. And maybe you don't have the faith today to believe what I said, but you do have the faith to realize you got to keep going. You need to come forward for more of that. Lord, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you that it's so just rich, man. It's dense and there's stuff in there, Lord. Um, I pray for seeds to be planted today that, that bear fruit this week um, and this, this Sunday now, but also that, that they just dig in and, and take root, um, that, that there would be sons here, um, daughters and sons who, who, who realize who they are and that they want to step forward into sonship and want to be the heir, that they won't trade it away for a bowl of soup, Lord, but that, that they'll feel the, they'll, they'll take the offer to go to the gymnasium and train. But I pray that, that we be the kind of people that help each other along the way too. That you'd help me bishop my friends. And that you'd give me the, the humility to be bishoped by friends. Um, I just ask you to open up some things right now. Um, any pride I ask to get out of the way. Any uh, confusion I ask you to get it away. Any sense that there's another time I ask you to get it away. The time's now. There's only one way up the mountain. In your name we pray.